Hi, guys, and welcome to a new episode of Kindled. I am super pumped to bring you this conversation with Marsha Montenegro, one of my all-time favorite guests. I've had her on, I think, I don't know, a handful of times, three times now, two or three. Can't keep track, uh, but this episode is no exception. It is um, it is a really good one. No, no exception to the standard that you can expect from Marsha every time. She brings so much context, so much information, and so much research and knowledge to the conversation around whatever topic we're discussing, whether that's the Enneagram or like today, contemplative spirituality, which is something that I imagine you've probably interface with in some way, shape, or form, even without knowing it, it is kind of a sneaky world. It's a sneaky world out there. Um, but we're going to be kind of pulling back the veil and revealing what are some of the terminologies used inside this larger and broader movement of contemplative spirituality? What are some of the redefined words? How do they talk about prayer and a relationship with God? And are those things biblical? Do they actually align with what scripture teaches us regarding how we should pray, how we can know God and all of that? It's uh, it's a really great conversation. And we ended up chatting so long that this is going to be a two-part episode. So today is part one, and then you'll get t- part two next week. And so we'll be back with uh, the second half of this conversation. So really happy to be able to bring you this. Um, It's an episode I've kind of had in mind for a while to have, and I'm so glad that Marsha kind of helped make it happen and brought it to bear for this audience. Before I get into that, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications with every new episode that releases. Also, uh, if you have not left a rating and review for Kindled, I would greatly appreciate if you do so. So you can scroll down, click a star rating, and leave some words as a review, which helps the show get found by others. All right, with that, I will get into the conversation that I had with Marsha Montenegro. Here we go. All right, so today on Kindled, I'm chatting with Marsha Montenegro. Marsha, good to have you back. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for having me on again. Yes, I'm happy to have you here. You have been on the show several times, um, and I was actually trying to figure out the last time you came on. Um, I believe that I, I know for sure the first time you came on, I was at our old church, and I had revealed to you that our church taught the Enneagram. <laughs> you were very surprised, and you were like, oh my, wow, okay. And I was like, yeah, is, is that a concern? <laughs> it was It was um, a very eye-opening episode for me. Uh, well, good. I'm, I'm always for eye-opening to, to good to truth, let me put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. So since then, we have found a new church, which we've been at almost three years now, and they are solid, and they do not teach the Enneagram, and I know that they have a biblical counseling um, center that actually, I've seen the literature that they share regarding people's questions on the Enneagram, because you know, that obviously comes up a lot of times in biblical counseling. People will ask, you know, what about my Enneagram type? How does that play into this? And I've seen materials, and it's, um, it, it basically teaches that that's that's not biblical these are not this is not a biblical teaching this is not how we are going to counsel you we're we're not concerned about your enneagram type you know and yeah, so yeah. oh good i was very relieved to find that out oh yeah uh, that's that's so good because so many churches are going the other way so yeah yeah exactly 
And, you know, this isn't going to be the main topic of what we talk about today, but um, I did want to kind of bring it up at the beginning because uh, this has kind of been being talked about in Christian social media uh, with Jackie Hill Perry this past weekend. I don't know. I think it might have been Friday when she um, she actually came onto her Instagram to announce that she had been studying the Enneagram. And uh, the, she said what she said was the Lord prompted her to study it. And so she spent two days looking into it, the history, the background. And she actually listened to your episode um, on cultish and discovered she literally was like doctrines of demons. It's the doctrine yeah. of demons. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so for her to say that was was honestly pretty shocking, pretty surprising because um, and I bet it was very surprising to her audience because she has I will say drifted leftward in her social progressive kind of view of, um, you know, things like social justice ever since 2020, we've really seen a lot from her on that front, um, which is unfortunate because I, I really respect her. I appreciate the the witness that she's had to this point for the gospel and, um, you know, yeah. being saved and, and leaving a lifestyle of homosexuality, you know, all of these things. I, I really right. have respected her in that regard, but I would imagine it was pretty surprising for her audience to see that. And um, so I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, on someone coming out and, and realizing like something that you've known for years, you've helped right. people like me know for years now, this is a doctrine of demons. What's your response to that? To that yeah, realization? I was, yeah, I was, um, I did not know her very well. I did not, I knew kind of of her, but not much about her. Um, of course, I found this out because a lot of people told me and it was all over the place. And I was very glad that she did that. And I find that to be really unusual because most people who are into something like the Enneagram, if they uncover anything about it they didn't know before or that shows that it really is not a good tool, uh, they usually will not admit, want to admit they they were wrong. Right. So especially a public figure, uh, because she is coming out and saying, I, I was deceived. I allowed myself mm -hmm. to be deceived, which is a very hard thing to admit. Yeah. Anybody, but especially if you're a public figure and you're admitting this to all these followers. And so I think that, you know, definitely I commend her for doing that. Um, and plus she is, that's going to cause a lot of her followers who were into the Enneagram to rethink it, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So she'll have a good influence there. It's just very hard to admit that. I mean, we have sent information to pastors. I've personally discussed this with two pastors um, online and their reactions were to reject, reject the facts mm -hmm. and to just go on and just kind of reject it and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm choosing to believe this, or I'm going to use it despite that. Uh, and that has been a very typical reaction that most people have had in their churches and from their pastors who promote it, you know, based on what people have told me. So when somebody publicly comes out and says, I was really into this, and I, I was wrong, <laughs> that mm -hmm. is extremely rare. Yeah. And I happened to Google uh, a, a little bit after that, and I found uh, posts and places where she had talked about the Enneagram number and, oh, I'm a three or seven or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And that's why I do this. And she went on and on and on about it. Mm -hmm. So she was really into it. Yeah. 
And Much so, like I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so for people to admit they aren't in it, it, it is hard. I mean, yeah. I, I can understand that if I found out something I thought was good was mm-hmm. not actually good. And I had been telling people about it. I would be, yeah. I'd be embarrassed, you know, like, right. oh my gosh, I was wrong, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And like the, as, as a teacher, I mean, she's a teacher of God's word. She teaches right. Um, right. women. I, I don't know if she teaches men as well, but either way, you know, I, I think that for her to acknowledge like I have a greater responsibility to come back here and say hey listen you know I was deceived myself I'm sorry if I led you astray mm-hmm. um that is a big deal and you know as someone that was in in a similar spot several years ago and had recorded multiple episodes and spent many hours of my life learning about my Enneagram number and really becoming like an expert on myself um <laughs> and the people around me and, and just really navel gazing in that way um I know how hard it is to kind of listen back to yourself after you wake up to those realities and be yeah. like oh gross like what have I been ew I don't want to yeah. hear this like this is embarrassing and it's yeah and, and it's kind of shameful and I mean I, I know there's forgiveness in Christ and I'm not I'm not right. under condemnation for that but no. it is hard it is hard to come out and and really acknowledge that but you know she's done that too with her lifestyle so I you know again respect her on that front, um, what I did say when I shared about this on Instagram over the weekend was I said, okay, Jackie, now do social justice. <laughs> now, yeah. now come out, you know, and, yeah. and bring clarity in a biblical worldview to the BLM riots, to all of the, to the Roe v. Wade announcement that you said you, you would keep your words at home on that that was overturned and you couldn't right. even celebrate that, you know, that's where I, I struggle, but you know, that's a different topic. And Regardless, I'm really glad that she mentioned this to her audience, and I'm glad that they will be exposed at least to the idea that the Enneagram could be demonically influenced. Exactly. And and people, you know, often, I don't know how long she's been a, a Christian. I, I Maybe you know, because I would have no idea. I, I'm not um, sure. Um, I people... want to say it's probably less than a decade. Like, it, she's a relatively yeah. new believer. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times it, you know, it takes a while. It's a process to see things in all areas, you know, of, yeah, of your life sure. and, and things that you have right. certain views you've held. Very it sometimes true. takes a while for those to break down. Yeah. So, you know, like they are, it's a very popular thing. You know, we're all a work in progress. We're all being mm-hmm. pruned and sanctified and yeah. formed to the image of Christ, but it's a little, it's different and we do it at different yeah. you know, state we're at different stages yeah um, right yeah. and we're all uh, yes like being conformed to the image of christ and and i i don't i i veer away from the word journey but it, it yeah. we are at different places on yeah. our in our walk in our progression yeah. towards christ-likeness and right. we're not all going exactly. at the same speed and no yeah we're all at yeah, different speeds and it just yeah you know, and, and that's something to keep. And I think, you know, there's scripture on that, that yeah. um, to keep One, that in mind with each right. other, to be patient with each other, correct Absolutely. each other in gentleness and love and things like that. So, you know, I mean, I know for myself, people have been very patient with me when I was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of off balance there on things before, especially as a new believer. Yeah. And I can look back on that and think, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, And the people that that were around me like they were so nice to me like <laughs> would I be mm-hmm. that nice to somebody if I thought hey wait a minute you know you can you can't say that or something like that you know whatever yeah right so, totally you know it's 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 humbling to remember mm-hmm. I have to go back and remember things 
the way I was too. Right. Uh, And still am about things and still need, you know, to keep moving along. Yep. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we get to chat about that for a second. Um, just because I, I thought of you and you know, way to go on your interview on cultish. And we're gonna mention them a couple times today because also um the reason that I thought to kind of have you back on was I listened to your episode uh about contemplative prayer. And this was another one, and this is one that Marsha did um on cultish as well. And this was this was another one that really hit home for me and brought a lot of clarity to some of the things that I experienced at, again, that previous church. So oh, wow. Okay. this was, this was another area where I, I don't think I was discipled as much in this, in, in that topic, but it, uh, it's almost like you, you don't even know what you're exposed to as being other until you get out of it. And then you look back and you're like, Oh, they did mention that, or, Oh, there was yeah. teachings on this. And exactly. I just didn't distinguish it as something that wasn't biblical. Cause I was trusting and kind of looking through the lens of my pastors in our church. Like I trust that whatever I'm being taught is biblical. And so this must be fine, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so that was a really great episode, which I'd encourage anyone to go listen to. I don't want to recreate that episode, but I do want to talk to you a little bit about um, these, that, and then also perennialism, which we'll, okay. we'll get into in a second. But um, my first question for you on contemplative prayer is, is it biblical? Is it biblical uh, in the way that it is being taught in kind of new age Christianity? Is it something that Christians can pursue? Right. It's that term contemplative prayer. A lot of people who aren't familiar with it, they think, okay, contemplation is good, you know, Uh and prayer is good. So contemplative prayer must be good. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, the, just the name itself sounds okay. It's very innocuous and biblical sounding. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the problem is the language that's used with this sort of thing can be misleading to people. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's one reason it's such a confusing area. And it's, and it's even hard to explain the confusion about it. So kind of like the Enneagram, it's kind of like there's so many layers of confusion. Um, and in that case, a lot of falsehoods that you had to keep unraveling. With right. contemplative prayer, there's a lot of different streams that feed into it. So what I say is, yes, those two words are good words, but the meaning of them is not biblical because the way contemplative prayer is taught today is a technique or method that you do in order to supposedly gain more intimacy with God and go deeper with God to be have really deep experiences with God. Um, so it's promoted in that way. Like, are you really, do you really feel that you're close to God all the time? Do you feel that you're in his presence? Wouldn't you like to feel uh, closer to God? Would you like a more intimate connection with God? Do you want to uh, feel, be in his presence and just kind of, you know, feel his presence and nothing else? So those are the kind of things that are said to make it sound like it's going to be beneficial and biblical. Mm -hmm. And, um, and right there now, I want to say that is a red flag because if somebody is saying you can have a more intimate connection through some kind of practice or technique mm-hmm. um, or making you feel as though you don't have 
a close enough connection with God, there is a problem right there because first of all, what do they mean by that? What are they meaning by a closer connection with God? What are they meaning by becoming more intimate in your relationship with the Lord? I mean, because we know from scripture that we know, we know the Lord through Christ. We know God through knowing Christ. That's how we know God, the father. We know Christ. We have a relationship with him um, that is sealed by the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit and believers. So we already have a very, about as close a connection to the Lord as you can have. Mm-hmm. Now, do we always feel close to the Lord? Well, no, I'm sure we don't, especially when we do things we know are wrong or we're kind mm-hmm. of drifting away and not spending time in prayer or Bible study. Um, then you're kind of, you know, you're not really being close to the Lord the way you could be. But that's a matter of, of um, you know, being in God's word, learning God's word, being with other believers, uh, worshiping, praying. It's the normal practices that we see in scripture that are talked about by Paul in his letters to the churches. Those are the kind of things that, that are fruitful in your relationship with the Lord. Now, the contemplative prayer um, has... It kind of has a more recent beginning, and then it goes back a little further to a more original um, beginning as well. So there's sort of two stages of this. Uh, the more recent stage is three Trappist monks who started this, um, I believe, in the 1970s. This was uh, Thomas Keating, Basil Pennington, and William Menninger. And these three monks decided that what they were seeing was that a lot of uh, young people, um, and and they're Catholics, so they said, you know, we saw a lot of young people in the Catholic Church drifting into Eastern meditation. And of course, this is right after the 60s when there was a big influx of uh, influence from Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, you had people into the idea of Eastern meditation. Transcendental meditation was a big thing um, in the 1970s. It's still around. It's still maybe not as big as it was, but it's still being promoted. And um, they were seeing young people get into this at that time. And they, and they said, well, you know, what can, what can we offer from a Christian perspective? that would could replace this Mm -hmm. so their ideas their intentions were good in that they wanted to draw people away from these other things that they felt were taking them out of the catholic church i i I would think so um that was kind of their thinking now the reason i know their thinking is because they made a video about how they came up with this and i've watched the video And I put it in one of my, um, I've put it in a couple of my Facebook posts. I probably should put it on my website. It's not on my website, but they did a video. It's an older video because all three of them have now died. Um, Thomas Keating died only a few years ago in 2018. Um, And well, actually, I'm sorry, William Menninger died the most recently. He died either the beginning, not the beginning this year. He died the beginning of last year. Uh, Thomas Keating, who's the one who's the most well-known, who's the biggest promoter, died in 2018. And I actually heard him speak in person and met with him afterwards. So, and I also read books by him and by 
um, Basil Pennington, who were the two who wrote books on this topic. So in this video, they talk about how Thomas Merton, who was a monk further back, who died in uh, 1968. And he had gotten into, he was very interested in Buddhism. And Thomas Merton had gone to Asia. He actually met with, um, uh, I believe he met with the Dalai Lama, I think. I need to double check that. My memory on that is, is vague right at the moment. But he met with Buddhists and he felt that Christians could learn about meditation from Buddhist hmm. uh, Buddhists, doing Buddhist meditation. And he actually thought that Buddhists and Hindus who meditated were doing the same thing that Christians do when they're meditating. He did not see a problem with it at all. And the fact that they don't, you know, Buddhists don't even believe in a God and Hindus have a, a different God who manifests mm -hmm. as many gods, that did not seem to be a problem for him. So he was, his thinking was already unbiblical on this right, right. away. And that started kind of, that created kind of a wave among a lot of Catholics um, who picked up on that and were writing books about Jesus and Buddha and doing Buddhist meditation. Uh, and that actually started, I think, with Thomas Merton. And he influenced these three Trappist monks who, who actually took the term centering prayer from Thomas Merton, who said something about the center, you know, the center of God, if you go to the center of yourself, I'm not, I may not be saying it right, but that's where the word centering comes from. So mm -hmm. it had this idea of connecting with God um, mm -hmm. in these methods that he was into that came from Buddhism. So these three Trappist monks took some of Thomas Merton's ideas. And then one of them, William Menninger, had read The Cloud of Unknowing, which is a, a book written around the 14th century by an anonymous monk. Now, I heard about the cloud of unknowing from people who were pushing this contemplative stuff back in the 1990s. I actually started looking into this in the 1990s. Wow. And I was still a relatively, I wasn't a new, when I started looking into this, I wasn't a brand new Christian, but I was, I was still a relatively young Christian at the time. But I knew there was something up with this. Now, it had not gotten into the evangelical church at that point, but I was seeing a lot of references to it from more progressive type Christians and the more mainline churches. So I was looking into it, and I, that's when I started reading these books. And, I, and later, around 2005 or so, I read The Cloud of Unknowing. Now, it took me two years to read it. That's the, there's a good reason for that. It is. It is, I don't even know how to describe it. When you're reading it, it's like you're in another world. Mm. And of course it was written in the 14th century. So, and it's by this anonymous monk at that time. So there's a, a real big cultural and time leap there. Um, mm -hmm. And the book I read had explanations for some of the terminology being used because some of the terminology, you wouldn't know what he meant by it. So there were explanations based on what historically at that time that language meant in the church. Mm -hmm. And this guy basically taught that you go through three stages 
to reach union with God. So the goal is union with God. Now, see, this is not about trusting Christ mm-hmm. to, you know, to be reconciled to God. This is about a mystical union with God. And you go through these three stages, you know, purgation. It's, I think it's like the dark night of the soul, which another, I think St. John of the Cross wrote about that. And you have to go through all this stuff. And I'm telling you, reading that book, the reason it took me two years is that it was so heavy. Hmm. You know, that's what I, that's the word I use to describe a book that has a lot of ideas or philosophy in it that is not biblical because yeah. it weighs, it weighs you down. And right. there's other, there's other books I've read that had that same effect on me. Mm-hmm. And that was one of, and I could only read a little bit at a time. And so I got through that book because I felt like, you know, this is being referenced so often. People are going to say, well, have you read The Cloud of Unknowing? And I would say, well, no. And they'd say, well, how can you how can you talk about this if you haven't even read that book? So now now I'm like, okay, I've read it. (laughs) I I did my due diligence. So Are you looking for a historically tried and true way to teach your children foundational truths from God's word? Then get started catechizing them today. Catechizing encourages not only children, but also adults to gain a helpful, systematic understanding of what the Bible teaches. The the basics and commandment catechisms from alongside them are based off the children's shorter catechism. These are written with simple and short answers that are easy for your little ones to repeat and remember. A scripture reference is included on each page to dig deeper into God's word together. These are durable flip books with modern designs. Multiple ages can learn together from toddlers to parents, and they can easily be integrated into your Bible time, family worship, or morning basket. I talk about this all the time on Instagram, how we need to be teaching our children truths, simple truths they can remember and understand and recall to mind. I was catechized as a kid, and I still remember the questions and answers that my dad went through with us, and I treasure the fact that those are ingrained in me, and it's so important to me to do the same with my kids. Go to their website at comealongsidethem.com, and be sure to use the discount code KINDLED5, that's KINDLED, the number five, for $5 off your order. Again, check out the basics and commandment catechisms at comealongsidethem.com and use the discount code KINDLED5 for $5 off. I think what's interesting and exhausting about all of the things that you study and speak about, I mean, this one particularly, I think because the Bible is so, gives us such clear guardrails for how to pray. I mean, we have an example of Jesus himself telling us Mm -hmm. how to pray. Mm -hmm. We have so many verses on prayer. Um, When it comes to knowledge of, of God, we have so many verses on how, you know, Proverbs two, six for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding, you know, the fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We have so much content from God himself in his book about how we are to pray, how we are to seek and and pursue knowledge of him. Um, And you won't see it saying to pursue union with him, right? Because we are made, we are made right before him through Christ. And yet it just is so, it's like, it's just never enough. All of these pursuits of the outside influences from these secular sources from, oh, the cloud of unknowing. And it's also esoteric and 
uh, special, you know, inaccessible knowledge. This someone is holding something in this like kind of Pandora's box that you just want to see inside. What is it? What do, what do you have? Do you have something better in there? Can yeah. I see how you do prayer? And somehow, yeah. you know, somebody seeps into the church, seeps, whether it's these Trappist monks or, or uh, Richard Rohr, whoever it might be, it comes in with, Hey, you know, look what I've got in here. I've got something a little better, a little bit other. You've never heard of this. This is actually going to elevate your experience. This is going yes, to make you exactly. more. It's always, of course, a positive claim, but yes. it's, it's always something other than what God said. And it's That's just right. twisting it. And, and uh, it's just like, why is it never enough for us? It's never enough. What God said is never enough. We, we, somebody always wants more or says they offer more and someone's always willing to accept, you know? Right, right. I think you put it really well. That is the appeal of it. And I think that because um, people who, who promote this, what they do is they'll, they'll use scripture to promote it. And they'll say, well, oh no, you know, Mm -hmm. if you've heard, it's not biblical, we can show you it's biblical. And then they'll bring along these um, passages from scripture. Now, here's where I want to say, I have examined every single passage of scripture that I've come across that promotes, that's used to promote this in various books Mm -hmm. or talks I've listened to um, or articles I've read or, you know, in defense of contemplative prayer, even focus on the family did something defending it It was a very, very poor defense. I mean, it was really horrible. It was not, it was not logical or anything. And I did a Facebook post on it. But the thing that I've noticed, Haley, is every single time they have misused that scripture they've either taken it out of context or they've misinterpreted it and i have yet to see a single verse or passage used correctly to support this now that right there says a lot that shows Mm -hmm. they can't even support it biblically but they will claim they can and if you look at the scriptures they 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 may quote it and you don't you know, pursue it and look it up in context or anything, or you don't know that passage well, you may think, well, oh, hey, there it is. It is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. The other way they appeal uh, the, to you for this being valid is they'll say, well, this is what was done in the by early Christians. This was what was done by, um, they'll often say the desert mothers and fathers. That's a big reference they like to use. Uh, this was done by early Christians. Uh, so this is part of the Christian tradition. This mm-hmm. is another huge um, way they promote it. Now, there's a lot of problems with that. Number one being, um, first of all, what were they really doing this? It's possible some of them were. Secondly, however, uh, really whatever the desert mothers and fathers did and whatever other Christians did at various times in history that does not mean it was necessarily biblical. You know, a lot of Christians did things that were not biblical. So we don't want, you know, we don't want to take that as our standard. We have to take God's word as our standard. If God's word can't support this, it doesn't matter if millions of Christians did it. Exactly. If if it's not in keeping with God's word Mm -hmm. and it actually is misusing scripture, then we can't accept it as being biblical. 
So that's the other thing. That's the way people should be thinking when they hear people promote this, because it is now so big in the church. And here's the other thing. It's not always called contemplative prayer. So that term may not even be used. Um, And now people are even, they're kind of, um, what they're doing is they're kind of modifying it. Uh, They're phrasing it differently. They're making it sound like, um, trying to make it sound more biblical. Uh, So it's taking on these variations, depending on who's promoting it and teaching it. What are you seeing it be called? um, Well, there's, um, I'm seeing it called, um, sometimes they just call it prayer. They just say prayer. And so they don't even use any other term. They'll just say it's prayer. Um, Sometimes they'll say, um, this is just going deeper with the Lord. Mm -hmm. You want to go deeper. And they won't say anything about contemplative prayer or anything like that. They won't say Mm -hmm. it's some kind of, uh, they may, oh, they may say it's a discipline. This is another Mm -hmm. term. It's gone under the term spiritual disciplines. Yeah. Um, So that's uh, a practice. This is a practice that can help you. In fact, uh, John Mark Comer, who's one of the biggest promoters of this, who yes. was a pastor at Bridgetown Church. And oh, Park. I'm familiar with him. You know about him? I've done a l- number of posts on him. You know, our church had... used his materials. Oh, our old church. No wonder they were in the Enneagram because he's a big mm-hmm. promoter of the Enneagram. Yep. Um, and so no wonder. Yeah. So he left, you know, he stepped down as being pastor last year and he started something called Practicing the Way. Mm-hmm. And that's the name of his website. And I have done two Facebook posts on it because I went to it and really examined it thoroughly. I'd already posted on him before when he was still the pastor. And then I did more later because he has influenced people now like Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, who's now in, has been into that. Not only that, but Tim Mackey admitted in a video he learned about prayer from Thomas Keating. Now, I think when he said that, probably mm. most people listening had no idea who Thomas Keating was. No, right. And they probably thought, oh, he's just some kind of, you know, he was some, you know, spiritual Christian. mentor. Yeah, right. Spiritual, yeah, spiritual mentor. Mm-hmm. And of course, when I heard that name, I nearly jumped out of Ears my Ears perked up, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, like, say what? <laughs> yeah. In fact, I listened to it. I, you know, I, I, I went back and listened again. Like, I want to make sure that I heard wow. him correctly. And he said, that's how I learned prayer was from Thomas Keating. Now, I don't know whether he met him personally. If he did, that would mean it had to be at least by or before 2018. Or does he mean he read or watched videos or talks from Thomas Keating? Yeah. I don't know which, because he could have done that after the after Thomas Keating died. Which, like, is it naive for me to say, like, why would any Christian be saying, I learned prayer from fill in the blank of a human being? like? The Bible is the one is what teaches us how to pray. Jesus taught us how exactly, to pray. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not saying that you cannot learn from, you know, uh, that's discipleship, right? Learning from old Christians older in the faith and and shepherding you and teaching you, but their primary source of teaching you should be from God's word, not from right. their own experience unhinged right. from God's word. Oh, hey, I have this practice I've been doing that's really been helpful. Now, I think like we can parse things and go, well, you know, what if, whether it's the time of day they study the Bible or how they integrate things into their life, like there's room for us to, to learn from others in, in how to live the Christian life. Right. 
But at a point where you start teaching something that the Bible speaks clearly to and definitively to like prayer, and you suddenly have this new practice and someone like Tim Mackey has to say, I learned it from this guy. I just am like, wait, hold on. Does he not see the problem with saying that? Like that, that makes me question him right off the bat. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's, I was, yeah, really actually kind of shocked when he said that, but then I began to understand, I had not known until more recently, his very close relationship with John Mark Comer Mm -hmm. and um, Tim, um, Tim State, not Tim, I'm always saying his name wrong, Staten, this is Tyler Staten. Tyler Staten um, is now the pastor of Bridgetown Church, and he Mm -hmm. seems to be very much like John Mark Comer, and he's kind of promoting the same thing, and they've actually Mm -hmm. did a video on this, and they, they make it, try to make it sound a little different, like uh, they're not talking about exactly the way like Thomas Keating would talk about it, so they're Mm -hmm. trying to make it sound more, more biblical, Uh And um, the whole idea behind this, one of the big problems with it is that they make it sound like you need an experience with God. You need to experience this closeness. You need to experience intimacy. You need to experience joy. You need to just sit there and feel God's love. And what Mm -hmm. Tim Mackey said in this video that I, I did a post on, he said, he said that what he did, he had a spiritual director. Now, I don't know if it was Thomas Keating or someone else, but he had a spiritual director. And he decided, Tim Mackey decided, I was going to sit down and have ask God to speak to the part of me that was not my mind or outside my mind, something along those lines. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. Immediately, I you know, right away, I see the problem with this because I'm very concerned about in the church, this, this uh, artificial division between the mind and the heart, Uh the mind and the soul, because we actually, the Bible speaks of the mind, heart, emotion, soul, will as one thing. And in the Bible, the word heart in the Old Testament and the New Testament usually means the the center of the person it's who you are Mm -hmm. it's your mind and your will and your feelings and your soul so when you ask god to speak out to some part of you outside of your mind that first of all it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. and secondly you're how can god speak to anything but your mind you know your mind Mm -hmm. is going to have to process whatever it is that god you think god is saying so, and I don't think he meant words. I don't think he was saying I wanted to hear a voice or anything, mm-hmm. but what, whatever it was that he thought he needed to hear from God, he doesn't think it has to be filtered through his mind, apparently, because that's what you one would reasonably assume from that statement. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of one of the big problems of this whole movement is that it makes that artificial division between the mind and the heart, they'll often Mm -hmm. say, well, you know, God intellectually, but do you really know him in your heart? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or they'll, or the other appeal would be to just sit in his presence and feel his love. And, and they'll Mm -hmm. talk about that. So some people may be wondering, well, what, what does it look like? What does it look like when someone's teaching you how to do this? And I did want to speak to that because I haven't said that yet. (laughs) So right. um, Wait, hold on before you, before you get into that. Okay what you just said about that artificial division. 
I, yeah. I thought about Romans 12 too. do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, right. There isn't a division. You are transformed no. by renewing your mind with right. what? With scripture, with, with the scripture. truth found in God's word. Exactly. And that's the process by which you are discipled in and made more like Christ. And uh, oh my gosh, there's just so much I could say about this. And I, and know. I know you too, but <laughs> even the, even the title practicing the way going to John Mark Comer's site, it does that not shift the focus from Jesus saying, is it John 14, five, where he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no yeah, one comes John to the father. 14, six, I think. Okay. And no one comes to the father, but through me, he is the way, but now you must practice the way. So it is again, yeah. shifting focus off of Christ onto you and yes. your pursuit and your personal individual journey. And what does that look like for you? Exactly. How, how are you practicing the way? It's always so esoteric, right? And so it it's like kind of sexy. Like they, they always yeah. turn it into this yeah. really like yeah. sensual experience that exactly. you're just like, Oh, what is it? What's inside? Again, what's yeah. behind door number one? <laughs> like, right, right. What can I experience? What experience am I missing out on? Yes, I must be missing out on something. These people yes. are talking about sitting, you know, and they do have these experiences. And I just sat there and felt the Lord's love. Now, here's the other problem that, that I think needs to be pointed out. And that is you can have what seems to be a wonderful spiritual experience that is totally false. And Fact. I think a Christian right. can have that. Mm-hmm. They can have that and think that they're being close to the Lord or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it is not, and it is not that at all. It's just, it's just produced from whatever you're doing and whatever right. you're expecting. And, and it could even be if you're really doing something really in, and that would maybe be in another area, like you're into the occult or something, you could have it even a, a demonic type experience. Right. Like a but false light, is, like the Bible talks about. Yeah, exactly. A false light. Angel, Satan's an angel of light. Exactly. So it's, of course, you can think you're having a wonderful experience and that it was so spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the big deceptions of this thing is that you can have these artificial experiences. Uh, but what they do usually is they teach you to be, you have to be still and then they misuse, be still and know that I'm God, which is actually the King James translation the New American Standard says, cease striving. And mm-hmm. if you read that whole Psalm, which is very short, it's God basically rebuking people for not trusting him and not realizing he's in control. That's basically what God's mm-hmm. saying. Right. Um, I think Spurgeon or somebody like that wrote a commentary on this and said, God was saying, shut up and listen to me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was like, it's not sit and be still, right, you know, right, right. close your eyes. And so they misuse that. They say, okay, you have to be still. You have to maybe close your eyes. Um, you have to sit there very still. You have to get other thoughts out of your mind. Now, this is where uh, the three Trappist monks actually taught some techniques based on Eastern meditation. Because in Eastern meditation, the idea is that you cannot get a spiritual truth or understanding or spiritual progress if you're using your mind because in Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism, um, the material world is false. Mm. So the material mm-hmm. in Buddhism, it doesn't even really exist. The material world actually doesn't exist. 
and certain forms of Hinduism would say it's an illusion. So your mind is part of the material world because it's part of your body. So all of that is material and that is a barrier to the spiritual. They make a very sharp division between the two, much like the, the Gnostics did. So mm -hmm. you have to transcend the thinking mind. You have to basically turn off your thinking so that you can get this experience. You know, the spiritual stuff can come in. And that's what they teach in this contemplative prayer. Thomas Keating even wrote in his book, one of his books, if you want to pray to God, you can't think about God. Now, I would have a very hard time praying if I couldn't think about God. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the focus of my prayer, right? It's and like, that's kind of probably the point of his comment. That's kind of the point of it, yeah. yeah. He's like, no, you can't even think. He said, you have to get to the point where mm. subject and object are one and the same. Mm. This is very mm -hmm. Eastern religious yeah. oriented. Because I did Buddhist, I did Hindu and Buddhist meditation. So I'm speaking as somebody who actually did this kind yeah. of meditation. And sounds like you'd be praying to yourself then. Uh, yeah, in a way, yes. Or you're praying to something artificial, something that you've made up that right. you or you're you're not even really praying. What you're doing is sitting there and getting into an altered state. Mm -hmm. And then it's in this state, maybe you supposedly hear God or feel God's love or feel God's presence. Um, of course, they don't say that you get into an altered state. They don't say that. Uh, and so that's one that's one of the major things. Now, along with that, there's a lot of, of iterations of this. One is Lectio Divina, mm -hmm. which is now I'm seeing promoted more by a lot of Christians in the evangelical churches. Mm -hmm. And it basically means sacred reading. And some people will promote it in a way that sounds okay. They'll say, well, it's just a way of reading scripture carefully and slowly so you can take it in. All right, now that doesn't sound, nothing wrong with that. However, that's not what they really mean. It's really a technique where you read a passage. There's a certain passage you read. It's not supposed to be more than maybe seven or eight, nine verses. And you read it a few times very slowly. Okay, I don't have an issue with that, but here's the problem. You're supposed to let a word jump out at you. So you read it and then a word is supposedly will jump out at you. And that's a word that you're supposed to focus on. Hmm. The other thing that they may teach, and then there's more to it after you get that word, you, you know, and that's, you that's that eisegesis. Word. That's isolating the yes. verse from yes. the context, from the bigger narrative exactly. of scripture, from the exactly. original author and audience, from the historical context, the literary genre that is isolating so that when you get it, and just so everyone knows, and a lot of people realize this, but when you isolate the verse, that is when it can kind of become whatever you want it to be. You can, can twist it anything. and make it mean anything. It doesn't you can make it. Yeah, exactly. it's unhinged. It's just out to sea. There you go. That's, no. I mean, that's what I did as a new ager. I actually, right. people are surprised when I tell them as a new ager, I wrote, I wrote for several new age magazines and I would often, not often, but from time to time, I would quote something from the Bible. And people are always surprised that I did that. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I look through the Bible and I find something that fits yeah. what mm -hmm. I wanted to say. And I would quote it and I'd say, mm -hmm. see there, it's right in the Bible. Yeah. So I, you know, that's what the Bible really means. And of course, new mm -hmm. agers do that with scripture. They do. And so I, um, so if, 
So right away, if you're reading a passage of scripture, okay, that's good. Read that passage of scripture, but then look at the context. What comes before that passage? Because that, if whatever's in that passage may be referring to something earlier or, and what comes after it and, and what's the larger context, like you said. So they're teaching you this special reading. Now they say, they don't say, this is the only way to read the Bible. They, they say, oh, it's fine if you're doing regular Bible reading and Bible study, but here is this other way that you can add on that mm -hmm. will help you get closer to God or help you to see some kind of real meaning there for you. So again, it's very private. This is a word that God, you know, you're supposed to think about. Um, now that's one, that's one method. They also have a method of uh, the contemplative prayer where you have a phrase like it could be um, peace. It could mm -hmm. be Jesus is love or God loves me, something like that. And you sit there and you think that phrase over and over. Mm -hmm. Now, Keating based this on uh, mantra meditation from Hinduism um, and Tibetan Buddhism uses mantras too. And that is a, a phrase that is repeated. And the reason they do it in Hinduism and Tibetan Buddhism is because they believe there is a spiritual power in those words. Hmm. And by repeating them in your mind or repeating them actually verbally with your mouth, that there's some kind of spiritual effect going on with you. Mm -hmm. this, is going, this is going to help you. So that's where he got it from. And so that's another method. Now, that method isn't always taught. And that's why people should know that this is not always taught exactly the same way. Right. And that, that's why it's good to know the overarching Mm -hmm. idea behind it is going to be this idea that you need to be closer with God or you need to really feel his presence. Um, mm -hmm. You can really hear God kind of within you. Mm -hmm. um, I recently read one of the biggest promoters of this and very influential is Ruth Haley Barton. And Ruth Haley Barton um, has actually a school, I think it's called the School of Transformation or the, Trans the Center the Center for Transformation, I think is the name of it, a big website. She teaches pastors and church leaders. She has a whole big thing where she has classes. She has retreats. Wow. She's very busy. She is, I mean, they are coming flocking to her. Mm. She has written a number of books. So I recently felt, I felt because I have quoted from her and done a couple of posts on her. I listened to a message she gave one time in a church and did a critique of it because she basically took a passage of scripture, I think from Mark 10, where Jesus heals, makes two blind men see, and she gives it a completely different meaning. Hmm. I mean, it's hard to think how you could take a passage like that, which is like a historical account of Jesus <laughs> making yeah. two blind men see, and how can you make that mean something completely alien? She does it. So anyway, and, that's another yeah. story. But anyway, I, I read two of her books. One of them is called Spiritual uh, Rhythms. Sacred Rhythms? Sacred Rhythms. I'm sorry. Yes, Sacred uh -huh. Rhythms. And the other one is Silence and Solitude. Uh-huh. I see uh, that. And I read both of them. Those were hard to read. And then it was even harder to write about. And that was a two-part article I did on her that my uh, Enneagram co-author, Don Vino, put on his blog, Midwestern Christian Outreach. 
but I also have it linked on my website. She is, she talks a lot about how you have to have this, this quietness and stillness because uh, other things are going to interfere and you won't hear, you won't hear God. Now here again, she does not, she's not talking about hearing God's voice. She's Hmm. not charismatic. She's talking about this style, this kind of within thing Mm -hmm. where God kind of speaks to you in this, in within yourself. Mm-hmm. And she says, if you have these other things in the way, God's not going to get through. And, you know, what I like to point out with that is, you know, do, don't you think if God really wants you to know something that he's going to be able to get through no matter what's mm-hmm. happening? I mean, you could be running yeah. in a marathon race yeah. and God could still be able to get through to you. <laughs> he's, yeah. Not, yeah. he's not going to be like, exactly. oh, she's running a race she's not she's not quiet she's at the grocery store I don't think I can get through to her here right you know God God that's not gonna stop God I mean what kind of God would be hindered by something like that a God of of God of your own making yeah exactly exactly All right, guys, that is it for part one of Contemplative Spirituality with Marsha Montenegro. Uh, Like I said, tune in next week for part two, where you will get the second half of our conversation, where we dive into specifically who are some of the names that you should look out for and be aware of at the front of this movement. And um, particularly, we'll be speaking to those that are kind of having the most influence amongst uh, those that are really the most susceptible to these teachings, and that is young people, those who are young in their faith, who have not built up that skill and that muscle of discerning truth from error and seem to be always kind of the first group, not always, but often the first group to really get kind of caught up in vain philosophies, unbiblical teachings, and ear-tickling um, things that that come about and that have been part of the struggle uh, for Christianity since its earliest days. And so we're going to do our best to kind of sound the alarm on some of those things and explain why they're unbiblical and how how we can be best armed against those things and those teachings with truth so that we can rightly divide the word of God. All right, that's it for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and I will see you next week on Kindled.